The Athletic. Back to 1874 on the Athletic, a podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. I'm Dan Bardell, joined by the Athletic's Aston Villa writer, Greg Evans, to talk through a very, very strange and busy week in football. And right now, you can subscribe to the Athletic UK for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. So go to theathletic.com slash villapod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. Morning, Greg. Back from Villa Park last night. And as I said in the intro, what a week it has been for football. I don't think I've ever known a week like it in my time following the sport. Yeah, morning, Dan. Absolutely, you know, an unbelievable week. Um, so I'm so tired, I'm exhausted. It's just been... Um, a crazy, crazy few days. I mean, anybody who works in the industry will, will know just how mad, how mental it has been. Um, the Athletic has been absolutely all over the story from from the moment he broke on Sunday, um, you know, right up until now that we're recording. Um, so proud to work alongside some of my colleagues this week who have you know broken some unbelievable stories. Um, you know, re- really, really brought home what's you know what's been happening with the Super League, the plans, you know, the inside stories on meetings and and you know what's going on in the big six what's going to happen next um yeah i mean look you know if you can't get excited and i know it's probably the wrong word with, with with everything that's gone on but if you can't get excited about what has happened this week you know as a sports journalist then you know you're in the wrong industry so i've loved it i've also been very very tired i'm looking at you now i can hardly open up my eyes last night was a another late one i think i finished up about four four thirty so um, you know, get, getting back up, we're, we're now recording at what eight o'clock. So um, I'm not as fresh as I usually have been, but look, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a mad week, and you know, we're all we're all hoping that the um, you know the, the right outcome has, has now come of it, and and that this Super League will not be taking place. Yeah, the games have almost been a, a sideshow this week, like a, like a separate event. It's, it's not often that the games are played, and that they're not the main event. But that's exactly the way it's been, especially when the Big six have been in town playing play, play the teams, and Villa obviously will come on to the game last night. Just before we do, we just mentioned the subscription offer at the, t- at the top end of the show. What have you been up to? Obviously, myself and you did, did an interview last week with Stefan Moore, which we both really enjoyed. What, what else have you been doing except for writing about the failed Super League? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I've, I've taken a, a bit of a sidestep away from Villa this week and, and focused really on, on the Super League, you know, and, and turn my hat to. Uh, what's been going in, on in the you know the so-called big six clubs? Um, trying to support some of my, my colleagues in that. We we put together a huge story, really, just explaining you know the inside story of 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 the Super League, how it came about, what happened, you know, the real timeline behind it, um, uh, what the other clubs think, what happened in the the, the Premier League meeting with the other fourteen teams, uh, and just what's going to happen next. And I mean, you know, read through it again last night, and it's like. It's the most detailed, you know, unbelievable piece of journalism that that I think you know I've, I've ever been involved in. So, if if you know if any of our listeners listeners haven't haven't gone read that yet, um, you know, go go and read it, and it will just it will just fully explain everything about the Super League. You know, every every angle 
um, from every club, what it means for, for, you know, going forward for every single club, really, you know, it's, it's an incredible piece of journalism and, and put together by about 15 or 16 of us. So um, that's what I was working on earlier in the week, Dan, you know, and then obviously building up to the Man City game. I, I have to admit, watching the Brighton and, and Chelsea game was just so, so strange. I had it on in the background and I was making calls to, you know, various people in football trying to find out what was happening um, with the Super League proposals. And then, you know, kind of watching that Chelsea-Brighton game, it just felt like, I mean, I, I couldn't, I just can't explain what it felt like. It felt like we were just not in the middle of a normal season. It was like something, you know. Well, we're not anyway. Yeah, I know, I know. Look, I know it's, it's been the strangest season ever, hasn't it? And, and that was just like the pinnacle of it all for me. I just thought, yeah, what the hell is happening there? What what is going on with our, you know, with our game? It was just mad. And and then to be at Villa Park again when you know the dust had almost settled a little bit, but still didn't quite feel right last night at Villa Park. It felt like there were um, you know, other pressing concerns that that need to be addressed rather than the actual game. And then, you know, Villa obviously going and losing didn't help things either. No, we went to see Stefan Moore, didn't we, last week? That was that was a good piece. Podcast's not out yet, but your your written piece has, has gone out. It was very very good. I really enjoyed reading it. Obviously, I was I was there when all the questions were asked, which isn't always the, the case for your articles. But just what a, what a great guy and what an honest guy as well. I think we we both said after we'd done it. Usually, play ex players and stuff they go around and they'll blame other people for things that have gone wrong for themselves. But he very very honest and, and basically put it all on himself, didn't he? Yeah, extremely honest. You know, I think I, I said to you after the interview, didn't I? I don't, I don't think I've, I've interviewed um, certainly a Villa player who's been so honest about his career, um, you know, whether it be a good or bad career. And, look, you know, I think Stefan was honest in himself and, and said that he felt that he got all his future moves, didn't he, just by having one good season when he was 18 years old, which, you know, is quite a shame. And, and I think doing himself a little disservice because, he you know, he did have a... Um, a career for himself. It wasn't as, as good as he would have hoped. And yeah, you know, in, incredible honesty for him. And and it was hard to hard to put all that in in however many characters you get on Twitter these days and try and explain it. So really looking forward to to hearing some of the feedback from the podcast because um as enjoyable as it was putting the written piece together, the podcast is where it really comes to life, isn't it? Because you know you can you can fully understand and and in you know hear the emotion in his voice. Yeah, we'll let we'll let subscribers know as soon as, as that's out on social media. Hopefully it won't be too far away. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although Striker A squandered a gilt chance to complete his hat-trick, 
On loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to football cliches wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. Let's go to the game then last night. Greg Villa, I mean, what a 20 seconds. Unbelievable 20 seconds. Some of the best 20 seconds of football I think I've ever seen at Villa Park. But then from from then, just a bit, a bit stale. And I, I know it's Man City, but just it, Villa are the masters of their own downfall in, in some ways. And... The game just got away from us a little bit. Things went wrong, but that 20 seconds, Greg, what a start. Incredible, really. I mean, Dean Smith spoke in the in the lead up to the game about uncertainty. You know, use that word a lot of times um, in football, and that's what makes football so great, you know, when he was addressing the Super League proposals. Um, I don't think he would have expected the chain of events that unfolded uh, at Villa Park, you know, scoring John McGinn scoring the quickest goal in the Premier League season. Um, it was... It was it was a lovely move from Villa, and it, and it was the only real bit of enterprise they 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 sort of produced all game. They were so boring to watch after that. They were so safe. They were so stale. So flat. Okay, I know it's Manchester City, um, but I just feel like this team is 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 on the slide now, unfortunately. And it, and it feels like all the good work that they put in at the start of the season, they're now undoing it because. Um, then they're not giving it a go, are they, Dan? We, we spoke about this after the Liverpool game. We felt that there were areas where they could have exposed Liverpool and they didn't. And I felt the same against Man City last night. On the face of it, two defeats against Liverpool and Man City is not a problem. Um, Villa aren't expected to go and go head-to-head with these teams and beat them. Um, but two wins out of 10 is a problem. And that's where why supporters are getting so frustrated now. You know, I'm reading the Q&A that... That, uh, that we do in the Athletic after every game. And the fans are saying, we're boring to watch. The, um, uh, what's happening? You know, what's happened to this team? And you know, that's that's the supporters' words, not my words. I'm watching the team. And my take on it is that it's hard to criticise too much on a season that has been productive um, and has had a lot of progress. If you look at where Villa were last season compared to where they are now, um, you know, it's miles apart, isn't it? That looking back at this time last year, we were worried that Villa were going to be a championship team. You know, I think me and you were describing them as one of the worst teams in the league. So they're certainly not at that stage right now. And and over the course of the season, they've they've had a, a decent points return. But I totally understand where the supporters are coming from at the moment because it's worrying watching Villa at the moment. They're not entertaining, um, and they're not picking up enough points as as as, as they should be. No, my my main worry at the moment is that we can't seem to get the basics right. Passing passing the ball, I mean, it's not a good barometer to go off because Man City are obviously sensational. But you know, every pass is fizzed. It's the it's the right way they move the ball quickly. We get the ball and we, we struggle with it, and that was not the case at the start of the season. I, I know Jack's not playing. I'm not going to get into that because we go into it every week. But you should be able to pass the ball with the right way to your teammate. And and at the moment, that that kind of thing is just not there at, at, at all. And Obviously, we, we can get a Man City because we did it after 20 seconds and got a goal from it. It's, it's a great bit of thinking from, from Tyrone Mings. I actually think there was an underrated piece of movement in the build-up as well from, from Matty Target. It was obviously pre-planned because he kind of moved the Man City player out of the way so that Mings could play the pass the way he wanted to play it. Watkins is 
obviously that's what he's done all season, just disrupted defences. And it was great to see him again on the score sheet. And then for that, maybe five minutes after that, I felt like, oh, we're, we're, having, a, we're having a go here. We really think we can unsettle them. But then after that, it kind of reverted to just... I mean, Man City are always going to have the ball. They're a sensational side. Foden was on a different level last night on a different planet. So Man City are always going to be keeping the ball better than Villa. But they just dominated. We just sat back and sloppy goals. I kind of felt we conceded, especially that second one. It's a, it's a rare mistake from Martinez, in, in my opinion. But you go 2-1 down. And then after that, I don't remember Villa having a shot. And I feel like I could say that in a number of games in, in the last month or so. Yeah, Dean Smith said after the game that he was the most frustrated with the way that the goals were conceded. And yeah, I can agree with him on that front. I think, you know, they were disappointing. Look, any goals are annoying, isn't it? But these two were were particularly frustrating. But um, he also said that Man, Man, Man City for 30 minutes were the best, you know, he's, he's probably, I think he, I think he said the best he's ever seen um, for, for a 30-minute period. And and yeah, I, I agree. They were they were unbelievable to watch, and they've got that in them to go and do that to a lot of teams across the country. But a lot of it was on Villa as well. They made it a bit too easy for them. You know, they they were just sitting off. They were allowing them to come at them. Um, yeah, the crisp passing, you know, is amazing, and, and Man City did that better than anybody else. But Villa need to re- Villa needed to get in their faces, and and I mean, they had the goal lead. <laughs> You know that they needed to do more of what 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 helped them get into that lead, and I just felt that they sat back too deep. They allowed they allowed Man City to come at them, and then it, that eventually was their downfall. But um, you know, Matty Cash, what 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 on earth was he doing? I mean, somebody so calm, somebody so measured. Um, I'm a little bit surprised. I'll be honest. I'm a little bit surprised at something like that. Not not you know, necessarily two silly bookings when um, Man City were already down to, to 10 men. But something of that nature hasn't occurred earlier because in this season, because he's 23 years old, a young lad um, in his first season in the Premier League. He's had a great season. So we, we, it, for me, it was always expected that there was going to become a, a game where he did something wrong. And it just so happened that it was on this occasion. And Dean Smith really let it be known, you know, his feelings. He was absolutely furious with him because... That was Villa's best chance of, of getting something against a team that they can't ever get near to. Yeah, I mean, the John Stone sending off is a, a Stonewall red card. I'm not sure what Pep was so upset about. It's a definite red card. It's, it's a high challenge. Once you connect with the, with the player at that height, you're always asking for trouble. And it, it looked bad slowed down. And to be honest, it looked bad in real time as well. But that's the disappointment from last night is that at halftime, Keenan came on. We went two up front and you thought, right, we're going to have a go here. The, the man advantage... This is, this is a good thing for Villa. This is this is a chance to go and get something from the game. And we never really got to see that materialise because of the cap, the cash sending off. And I thought he was our, one of our best players in the first half, if I'm being honest. I thought he had a, he had a great first half. It was, it was tough down that side against Foden, but I thought he dealt with what came into his areas very, very well. But it's just a rush of blood when you've just been booked. It's a bit of a needless challenge. And then once the Man City have got, gone down to 10, you're always going to pick up a second yellow for a challenge like that. And from then on, Villa found it very, very difficult and we're kind of playing this hybrid weird three at the back formation with, with target, a left centre-back. Barkley's come on, Smith's stayed with the two up front. 
but we, ne- we never threatened him. The only chance I can remember in the second half is that Keenan Davis header from a corner. I can't remember anything else. And Man City kind of just saw the game out comfortably, didn't they? Yeah, it was just frustrating that Villa couldn't really get at them, wasn't it? I mean, I think Dean Smith made the right substitutions at the right time. You know, he brought Davis on. I was really excited to see him, to see how that two... Um, those two strikers up front really, really gave something to Man- for Man City to, to think about. But I think they had just 11 minutes, didn't they, with the man advantage mm. with, with Cash getting, what, two two bookings in three minutes. And then it weren't the same. I think that Villa, I think the game kind of got got very stretched, didn't it, after that? Both teams looked a little bit tired. Um, you know, Man City have obviously come on the back of, uh, you know, defeating the cup. And we're looking ahead to the, the League Cup. Pep, Pep Guardiola described this particular game against Villa as very dangerous, um, which which made me think that Villa missed an opportunity more than ever because even when it was at 10 men, they just didn't do anything, did they, Villa? They just they passed it around the back. I know it's hard to break Man City down and, and, and I know it's hard to get possession back off them when they've got it. But when Villa had the ball, they just didn't do anything with it. They didn't try and break the lines. They didn't try a creative pass. It was just so basic and boring. And you just thought, there's no way they're going to get through it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We lack ideas at the moment. Again, we're obviously going to mention it. Jack's not there. It's a big, big problem for Villa, but it's someone to see people to step up in that situation. And it feels like since he's been out, nobody's really taken, taken that mantle. I'll probably exclude Ollie Watkins for, from that because I think he's, he's, he tries hard. Sometimes as a striker, you're only as good as your service. And it's not like he's getting a bucket load of service. It's not like he's missing chance after chance everywhere. You know, I think he's doing the best with what he's got. Generally we defend well still, but you look at the midfield again and it's, it's not right. That whoever plays there, whatever we do, it is not right. And that, I think Villa now are going to realise they need some serious surgery on that midfield in the in the summer. And I, I don't think maybe two or three months ago they'd have been planning for something like that. Yeah, we've, we've been saying this for a few weeks now, haven't we? They've got six midfielders and you don't know the best three. I think McGinn always gets in, you know, even though he hasn't really been doing it himself. I think the last few weeks have been more promising for him. He got a decent assist against Liverpool. He got a good goal yesterday against Man City. That will give his confidence the boost. I think if he has the right players around him, you see the real John McGinn again. I think he's been a little bit let down by those around him. Um, His attacking position has been sacrificed because they're trying to get Ross Barkley in the team when he plays. He doesn't do enough for me now. I've seen enough of Ross Barkley now to to, to realise that... um, He's becoming a bit of a liability for Villa. He's he's not helping out enough as as, as he should really. Um, whether that's impacting on John McGinn, I don't know. I feel like Douglas Louise hasn't quite um, 
isn't producing the levels that he was at the start of the season. Um, so does McGinn feel like maybe he's having to take on a little bit more responsibility? Mm. I don't know. Um, and, and, and and I think, you know, he'll have to put it on himself a little bit. You know, he'll probably admit that his performances haven't been as good as they have been previously. But what, what we're, at, we're at the stage now with John McGinn where we we're always expecting him to rise and get better and better, aren't we? Because from the day he's come to Villa, he's he's been so good and constantly on the rise. We're always expecting more and more of him, but um, he needs a bit of support around him. I think that there are players in that midfield that can be taken out um, to help John McGinn. I think if you, if you take John McGinn out, then that midfield looks even worse. Um, Jacob Ramsey, come on and, and, and okay, he won the foul. He, it was his foul that obviously led to Stones' red card. Um, but we're still waiting for that blockbuster performance from him, aren't we? You know, you know, look, he's a young lad. It's great that he's in the team. Um, I'm all for him. I, I, you know, I think he's a, he got the potential to be a good player. But at the moment, he's not making the midfield any better than it is. No, it was great to see him again on the score sheet last night. And like you mentioned previously, he's got an assist in the game before as well. You know, so he's he's back on the board. He's getting assists. He's he's getting goals, and hopefully that continues on Sunday against West Brom. But I think I think you've raised some good points there. That stuff I'd not really really considered. If the midfield's struggling, it's going to be very hard for him. He can't do it all on his own. No, Jack. I think he is a fantastic player. I think he's been a great signing for Villa. Unbelievable presence in the dressing room as well. What what a guy! You just look at him, and and you laugh. And we need him back to his best. And he's somewhat getting near to that. In the last few games, I suppose we're getting an assist and getting on the score sheet. But Villa have got to get that midfield right because I think that's the main reason we're floundering at, at the moment. The defence in the main still doing the job. The goalkeeper, he made a mistake last night. He's still very good. Ollie Watkins, you know what he gives you. It's that bit in between all of that that's just not right at the moment. And that's what Villa need to rectify because otherwise the season is going to completely peter out. Let's just touch on the on the West Brom game then on, on Sunday. It's suddenly a game that I'm a little bit concerned about. I wouldn't say West Brom have the momentum, but West Brom need need to win. If they don't win every game now, they're looking like they're going to be playing championship football next season. But they've won their last couple. Whenever I've watched them actually recently, they've been pretty good. Kind of doing all the things at the moment that, that we're not. They look a danger going forward. The midfield's got a nice balance to it. And... It's a worry for Villa taking them on on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, West Brom are almost playing like Villa were at the start of the season. They're keeping it quite tight at the back now, and 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 look very very exciting going forward. And um, the, the the issue I'd say with West Brom still is that they're creating a lot of chances. And okay, they've scored eight in the last two, which maybe goes against what I'm about to say, but they're very wasteful in front of goal. And I think that the quality of their players, um, you know, that they, they could they could still have four or five good chances against Villa and potentially not score. So that might work in Villa's favour. But um, big game for, for for them tonight, obviously, against Leicester. You know, if, if they go and win that, then I think Villa would start to become a little bit more concerned because, um, you know, there would be some real momentum there, three wins on the bounce. Um, and regardless of whatever happens, you know, in, in the Leicester game, West Brom would go into Villa knowing that they need to win regardless to save their season or keep their season going. So, um, be an interesting one. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think there'll be a bit of revenge there as well, wanted because of the way that Villa absolutely destroyed them at the Hawthorns. Um, you know, I mean, it was the, for, for me watching on that game, I thought that was Villa's most complete performance. You know, they, they absolutely never looked like um, losing or drawing that game. I think West Brom's, uh, expected goals was was 0.02, which you know says it all, doesn't it? Um, but it's 
quite a contrast, really, isn't it, when you think of that Villa team compared to the West Brom team um, and, and the two teams that will be facing each other on Sunday. Very, very different game now. Yeah, I feel like every time I watch West Brom, they win. So I'm definitely not going to watch them tonight in the, in the hope that they lose some of that momentum coming to, coming to Villa Park on, on Sunday night. Just touch on, on team selection. It feels like there's not really much Dean Smith can do at the moment. His hands are tied a little bit with the team. Do you, do you think it'll be the same kind of team? Do you think Al Ghazi will come in for Ramsey, possibly? That's probably the only change he can make. It's hard, isn't it? It's like we're, we're looking mm. at that bench now thinking, you know, what, what can he really do to, to freshen it up? No cash either. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So look, Al Mohamedi comes in. I, I don't think defensively that makes much of a difference. I think Al Mohamedi has um, you know, shown he's quite I think he's shown he's quite reliable over his villa career. Um Harvey Barnes gave him a tough outing, didn't he? Um, you know, when he came in for that first game back, but don't think he'll be up against players of of quite of that quality, you know, probably looking at Matthias Pereira and Callum Robinson, who are good players in their own, but not quite Harvey Barnes level. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't see it being too much of a problem Villa defensively. I just think that attacking the attacking areas need to be freshened up, and there's nothing really that springs to mind now. Is that Trezeguet is out? Sanson will still miss the game. Um, Grealish is obviously out. Do you go with Keenan Davis up top and try and, and, and try and change things? I'm all for that, but I don't ever see, I don't really see Dean Smith doing that from the start. Don't think he believes in it. Don't think he, you know, to, I don't think he really likes that that um, that system. And and okay, it was unfortunate that Davis only had um, 11 minutes as on a team that had a man advantage. But in all honesty, did he do anything after that against Man Man City? Did he make much of a difference? He didn't, and he had 45 minutes to show it. Again, it's against the best team in the country, so mitigating circumstances. But, you know, these are the chances that he really needs to take and probably didn't, did he? No, I, I, to be honest, going back to the right-back situation, I, I quite like to see Kessler giving a game. Elmo's not going to be here next season. Kessler looks to me like like he's ready. I mean, obviously, Dean Smith and the coaching staff will know whether he's ready or not better than I do, but I just think have got nothing to play for now. So maybe blood a couple of youngsters, give Kessler a go. Let's see what he's all about. If that feels like a, a decent game to put him into for for, for, what, for a one-off, in my opinion. But yeah, we'll see what Dean Smith does. We'll see if he, if he does make any changes on Sunday. Let's go back to the Super League. We just wanted to play the Dean Smith press conference because we thought what, what he said was so, so bang on the money. So for those who haven't heard it, here's what Dean Smith's opinions were on the proposed Super League. First and foremost, for me, I've got total sympathy for the six managers who's... English clubs are involved in this, uh, you know, having to front up to the media, you know, and from what I've learned so far, they haven't been involved in any decision making or any any part of the process so far that their clubs have entered into. So I've got, you know, a massive amount of sympathy for them. Where I stand on it, I'm deeply, deeply saddened by it and disappointed, in all honesty. There's been some strong statements, I think, that have come out already from from clubs within within the Premier League and, uh, and England itself. Um, I think the one thing that, uh, if I look at it, I, listen, I was born in 1971, 50 years ago. And at that time, Aston Villa were a third division club. Um, 11 years later, I watched them lift the European Cup, which is the pinnacle, which is now the Champions League trophy. Um, you know, and that was the dream. They they earned the right to do that by winning the league the previous season. And while I understand that competitions evolve, um, you know, 
I liked the European Cup being the winners of the leagues and the UEFA Cup being the the other four and then the Cup Winners' Cup. But it changed, I understand that, and it needed to because of the finances that were coming into the game and the Champions League in its format, um, you know, probably needs to evolve now and change. But to then create uh, your own Super League where, from what, I've, I've only read the statement, that there's no promotion and relegation and... Um, it, it, it just totally baffles me because it actually takes away the competition the, for, for people to go and reach, reach that Champions League final. You know, I dreamt of becoming a Premier League manager. I'm doing that now with Aston Villa. My next dream is to, is to break into that, them Champions League places and, and, and challenge again for Aston Villa. Um, you know, if this format goes ahead, this, this concept which... You know, I've, I've, I've seen it stated already that he's being made for the good of football. For me, it's not the good of football. It's, it's totally a commercial, a commercial venture. Um, you know, football and sport in general is, is about competition. And this is not comp competition when you have six clubs out of, out of England joining a European Super League. And they're, they're called, or so-called, the big six. But... When the Premier League was formed in 1992, I think it was the Big Five and Everton were part of that. Um, Everton are suddenly now not part of the Big Six. Why? What defines the Big Six? You know, is it the history of the trophies you've won? Is it your fan base? Is it the size of your stadium? Or is it your turnover? And it's, it's a question that's gone on and on for years and years. And, and the one thing for me that has always stood, stood out in sport... There's never been certainty. You know, if there was, you would never get what was a brilliant Liverpool team get beaten by Wimbledon in the FA Cup final. You would never get Leicester City, um, who get promoted, nearly get relegated, and then win the Premier League the following year. You don't get that unless you've got competition. This idea, this, this concept, takes away the whole fabric of sporting competition. And for me, it is a total non-starter. And I don't know, maybe, maybe owners at the moment are, are looking at the league table and not liking the fact that West Ham United and Leicester City are in the Champions League places at the moment. And ourselves and, and Leeds, who have recently been promoted, have, have, got, you know, um, have got ideas of trying to become you know, Champions League teams, as have Everton, as have Leicester, Wolves... Uh, all the other teams who are in the Premier League, you know, who says in 10 years it's not a big 12 or a big 14? Um, you know, and that's why for me, this is an idea that has to be stopped as soon as possible. I've been involved in professional football for 34 years and I've never seen anything that has brought so much of the football family together uh, as they have been vehemently against this proposal. So, Greg, what did you what did you make of that from from Dean Smith? Very, very impassioned, and obviously talking about his own aspirations for Villa, the club's aspirations. The Super League thing was an an absolute jerk, an absolute travesty to football. But what did you make of Dean Smith's opinion? Yeah, well, I was in that press conference, and uh, you know, I could see the his facial expressions and the way he was delivering his message, and and it's it's quite unlike him to 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 go you know in such depth. He was. He was sickened by it, you know. Genuinely, he he was so frustrated. You could say, you could see, and I think he said that he'd been football for thirty-seven years and he's never known anything like it. So, um, yeah, I, I I I shared his pain, you know, because 
I've, I've grown up as a football fan watching, um, uh, you know, watching the teams in England, watching watching youngsters have their chance in the FA Cup to, against these big boys and, um, and watching um, teams cruise through the, the divisions and try and take on the big boys. And, you know, Wimbledon was a classic example against Liverpool, you know, in the, in the FA Cup. And, and obviously what Villa are trying to do now, you know, they've, they've transformed themselves from a championship team into a team that is now going to challenge for, for those European places, um, you know, in, in, in the future. There's a plan at Villa. They believe in the plan. Um, they feel like they're closing the gap on on the, the the so-called top six, which, as Dean Smith said there, you know, how do you define the top six? Arsenal, Villa have beaten them twice this season and they're ninth or whatever. Tottenham, they haven't won anything for a long time. You know, how, what what right have these teams got to, to be classed as elite? So, um, yeah, I shared his pain and um, I, I enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, yeah, re- really good to hear from him. And to be fair, the football world has really pulled together and it, it has been a great show of togetherness and spirit to try and get this put, put in the bin. And that, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think anyone could believe the audacity. I've, I spoke to a couple of professional footballers when it when it was all kicking off and that, that, they just couldn't believe it. That Professional footballers aren't consulted about stuff like this. Managers who are the figureheads at the clubs weren't cons- consulted about, about it. It's just greedy, greedy mindless owners that haven't got a clue about football in this country. All they care about is the pound signs in front of their face. And it was just a, a crazy time and heads are going to roll and heads should roll in, in, in the bigger picture. Yeah, well, this is it. You know, there are going to be innocent people probably that lose their job because they're going to be associated with this. But there are, t- there are um, you know, think of this next Premier League board meeting when when these top six clubs have to go back in with the other 14 um, and negotiate things. And, and look at what these other Premier League, look at what these clubs are doing. There's a, there's a Premier League reform on at the moment. You know, they're, they're try, through this, pro, when, when Project Big Picture was going ahead, um, some of the some of the clubs came together and, and decided to try and make things better in the Premier League and, and the Football League system. Um, where you've got these other clubs thinking that they're elite and, and they're going off and having discussions about something else behind their backs. So it's, it's going to be really hard for some of you know the other 14 as they're called um to welcome the others back in because there's a lot of frustration there and a lot of anger yeah i mean sky are reporting that the other 14 are split on on, on how to respond to this they're kind of like saying that um fines and point deductions that's that's going to hurt the, the, the wrong people it's I, mean, I suppose it will hurt the owners but ultimately it's going to be the, the, the fans and the players and the, and the coaching staff who weren't involved that are hurt as well that's the latest update as of thursday morning how how are Villa going to respond to this, do you think? Well, I think that they'll discuss it with other clubs first. You know, I don't think they'll be wanting to stand alone and 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 um, be the pioneers in all this. They'll be discussing with the other clubs and deciding from there. You know, we know that Christian Perslow is, uh, is very vocal in things like this. Um, he came out and, and spoke to the BBC on the day. I think he was the first chief executive to, to you know, to speak out. Um, so it was good to hear from him, you know, at that point. But... As to what happens going forward, you know, it'll be it'll be a decision that he'll make collectively with the others. Yeah. What what would you like to see happen? Um, As someone who spent the whole week thinking about it and writing about it, what yeah, do you think should happen? Yeah, it's it's it, it's really difficult because I've spoken to owners, I've spoken to investors, I've spoken to players, I've spoken to managers, and I've spoken to staff around um, you know football clubs, and these and obviously lots of supporters. So. You've, you've got to hit the people that really, you know, deserve it the most. But at the same time, it's unfair on the clubs. You know, if, if for example, 
you know, it's not fair on Arsenal fans if they if their if their club is now hit with a points deduction, is it? Because what have Arsenal supporters done to deserve this? You could argue that the teams that are financially struggling that go into administration that haven't got any money at all, they they get fined. They get points deductions. So why shouldn't it happen to these clubs with absolutely crazy amounts of money already? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there's that discussion and and there was um, you know, discussions between between the clubs that that these owners have acted, you know, in an irresponsible and wrong way. And 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 there are now calls going forward for the for the owners and directors test to be extended at the moment. You know, you're looking at things like bankruptcy and, and criminal records, but you've got to add more to that now because can these owners ever go and manage another club again after what they've just done? No. But the more you the more I think about it after I've just said 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 what I've said, look at look at Birmingham City. Look at you know they got point deductions. They've got probably the, the worst owner in the country. At the moment, they've had points deductions. They've had fines for things. So it's what's the difference? And these clubs can afford to pay it quite comfortably. There's no difference. The Blues fans didn't deserve that. No, I know, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different. Matter, Still been a bad it? owner. It's in a different way, but it's been a being being a bad owner. It's not. It's doing things that you're not supposed to do, and that's what the Birmingham owner has done. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's different for me. I I think that there, you know, that you've got to look at each case individually, and, and for me, that's that's different. But you know, it's a whole other story if we're going to go down that line. No, no, I just think if they're not going to deduct points, I've got annoyed as, as as we've done this podcast. If they're not deducting points from these teams, they should never deduct points for for anyone. In my in my opinion, now that's what I've come to. What's the there's, there's no difference. Mm, strong opinion. I'm, I'm not sure I share it, but I, I haven't got the right answers. <laughs> I mean, either. you know, I, I, I haven't got a solution for it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's for the, it's for the executives to decide, isn't it, yeah. what they push and where it goes from there. But, you know, I, 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 it's just so hard. It's so difficult to know what, what is the right way to, to sanction these people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not over, is it? It's going to be a story that, that rumbles on for weeks and weeks. The league's not happening in its current format at the moment, but there's going to be fallout for this for, for months now. So it's, it's going to be one to keep an eye on. There needs to be an independent regulator, you know. That's Gary the, Neville's been saying that, that for a long time. You know, that, that a lot of people have been saying that for a long time, Dan. You know, people want to see football cleaned up. And, and if there was an independent regulator there, then things might go forward, but we're no closer to it. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Before we go, Greg, we finish with the with the top three, and this week I think it's the the top three bad decisions. Is that right? That, that I've been that I've yeah. been tasked with. So the top three bad decisions of Villa in the Premier League era. It's, it's quite general, but obviously there's been a lot of bad decisions this week in football. So we thought we'd run with that. In number three, Greg, I've gone for, I'm going to blame my old, my old pal John Gregory here, Villa not buying Robbie Keane when they could have done that first time, not wanting to spend the extra 500,000 or million pounds, whatever it was. He was just a, a sensational player, a player that was a great striker in the Premier League for a very, very long time. And Villa could have gotten bored with that early, but they, they didn't want to pay the money. John Gregory decided not. And then we had him on loan anyway, about 20, was it 20 years later? I can't remember how many years now. It's about 10 <laughs> to 12, like it, yeah. 10 to 12 years later. We, we had him on uh we had him on loan at the tail end of his career and he was still very good then. So yeah, I think that's my number three. Not not getting Robbie Kane, not getting on the Robbie Kane train at the start when we could have done. Yeah, I mean, you know, John Gregory's gone into a lot of detail about why he why he didn't sign him, didn't he? I think he went to a fair few games and watched him and just never quite seen it in him. You know, he wanted to see something in him, but didn't see it. And I suppose, you know, if you if if you're a if you're a scout at you know Okay, he was the manager, but if he's going to scout a player and he doesn't quite see what he's going to bring, then you can half understand. I think he said he went and sat in, um, he went and sat at Molyneux, didn't he, in disguise and during during a preseason game, and 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 Robbie Keane didn't do anything in front of him. Then he went and watched him again, and he didn't do it, and he just didn't bother with it. Then and obviously he went to Coventry. I think Coventry were willing to pay a bit more money, weren't they? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that they, they, they paid it, didn't they? I think Villa ended up getting Benito Carboni that season for the for the rest of the season. He turned out okay for, for that one year. It's just it's just a, just a follow on. I feel like he could have been a great player for Villa for years. Yeah, I I, to, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I mean, you know what what Keane did in the Premier League, and obviously when we seen him when he came to Villa, didn't he? I remember those those couple of goals at, at Wolves as well they were fantastic yeah, one. Great player. um and Villa Villa was certainly into <laughs> every almost every transfer window that went past they tried to sign him didn't or they? were linked with him or certainly were linked yeah. with him yeah 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 number two I've gone with something that you've wrote about in depth in in the past the Moscow debacle completely derailed Villa's season Villa on course to qualify for the Champions League of course play the kids in the reserves in Moscow lose the game and then don't win the game after against Stoke, blowing a two-goal lead. And then from there, Villa's season just completely derailed. I think we ended up finishing sixth, didn't qualify for the Champions League, never have done since. A bad decision from Martin O'Neill. Really, really bad decision. Yeah, a bad decision. Um, that was the story that sparked a very angry phone call from from Martin O'Neill as well in my direction. Um, <laughs> I love that story. Probably, probably learned, I love that story. Probably learned a little bit uh, along the way. I probably should have called him in advance and, and got his side of things uh, before writing the story. But no, my, my, my decision was to to speak to all the players from that team and and uh, and find out what they thought about you know the Moscow debacle and whether he should have played the kids or whether he wouldn't. And again, you know, it's worth going and having a read of that because um, you literally get so many different points. Gabby Agbonahor backed Martin O'Neill and said that he should have done that. He said, because we were all dreaming of the Champions League. We didn't really care about the Europa League. 
early life of cup as it was then um but whereas others i think stillian petrov said we should you know i wanted to play i wanted to continue in this competition and just keep playing us we, we were ready sort of thing so yeah an enjoyable one putting that together it was about, it was about a year probably ago, I yeah i think that, it was about so. the time we spoke to curtis davis wasn't it and that was probably a year ago yeah amazing how quick time goes yeah well hopefully mine o'neill hasn't got my number because i've labeled it as the second worst decision in from villa <laughs> in, the, in the premier league era so i don't want any angry phone calls number one greg gone for the hiring of alex mcleish a genuinely nice bloke a, a really good guy in football, but it was just a terrible appointment. And it also just made no sense whatsoever to go from the model they were had under Gerard Julio to then jump with the players that they had to Alex McLeish. It made absolutely no sense whatsoever. The fans never wanted it to happen. It was always going to be a one-season thing. It was never going to work out long-term. And it was just a really bad decision. And then from then on, Villa just crumbled down the Premier League, really. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you have to say it was a bad decision. Villa certainly thought it was a good decision at the time. Um, you know, they felt that Alex McLeish was the right man. It, you know, what you say, I think everybody in football shares that. A really lovely guy. Um you know, I got to know him well at, at Birmingham and, and and at Villa, so and still speak to him, you know, now and then from time to time now. So um but it didn't work, did it? And 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 it really turned the fans against the club at that point. And and then Randy Lerner just really did start to lose interest after that. So it was just the, the catalyst really for um Villa's downfall. We said last week Randy Lerner's recruitment strategy for managers at that time seemed to be who does who does one of the best managers in the Premier League think we should have? As the manager, he went to Ferguson and Wenger for advice. And it's fair to say they didn't dish out the best advice to Aston Villa Football Club. I think that does us for this week, Greg. You go and get some sleep. You look absolutely shattered. Been a, been a busy week for you and all the football journalists, all the athletic journalists. So I, I credit them with all the work they've had to do this week because there's been some great stuff. And I've literally spent the week glued to the athletic and, and reading what's going on. So fair play to everyone because there's been some great stuff on there. Thanks to everyone for listening as well. We haven't done any questions or anything this week. It's been a pretty fast turnaround from the game against Man City last night. So we'll be back asking for your opinions and questions next week. Have a good weekend. We'll be back after the West Brom game at some point. Make sure you check out Greg Stephen Moore piece as well, because it really is a great read and something I was obviously involved in myself. And make sure you're watching out for that podcast as well. We'll update you on social media as soon as we know when that's coming out, because that's a great listen as well. Have a good weekend. Take care. Up the Villa. Athletic.